Wealth Attraction Research WAR War Capital Money Wealth Attraction Research WAR War Capital Money You're listening to Wealth Attraction Research WAR War present so social podcasting. Read the comments. I stopped doing this in the middle of it or in the beginning of it the other day. To um, I'm uh, stabilized for a moment here. So I'm going to go ahead and get into this and, of course, make my own commentary along the way as I get into Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith. This specific chapter two is chapter two of book two. And get this title. It's titled Of Money Considered as a Particular Branch of the General Stock of Society or of the Expense of Maintaining the National Capital. I mean, that's like one of those titles that I read in a lot of the scientific journals that I um, browse through every once in a while. Um, but let's hear it. Here it goes. I'm going to get through this in my course and see whatever what I understand, what I don't understand, and just talk it out to myself. All right. So... Of money considered as a particular branch of the general stock society or of the expense of maintaining the national capital from chapter two of book two, Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith, 1776. All right. It has been shown in the first book that the price of the greater part of commodities resolves itself into three parts of which one pays the wages of labor, another the profits of the stock, and a third the rent of the land which had been employed in producing and bringing them to market that there are indeed some commodities of which the price is made up of two of those parts only the wages of labor and the profits of stock and a very few in which it consists altogether in one the wages of labor but that the price of every commodity necessarily resolves itself into some one or other or all of these three parts every part of it which goes neither to rent nor to wages being necessarily profit to somebody so uh, profits so we got wages of labor profits of stock and rent of the land so the wages of labor of course are the working class right where people work for a paycheck hourly wages things like that the profits of stock are the business owners who make profits from the the materials and things they use and the labor that makes those materials into more valuable things. And of course, the rent of the land is the landowners 
who own the land that maybe the business owners have factories on. And this book, they, they refer to the manufacturer um, and laborers. And so those are the three ways revenue paid. Says, um, or uh, or all of these three parts, every part of which goes neither to rent nor to wages, being necessarily profit to somebody. Since this is the case, it has been observed with regard to every particular commodity, impose the whole annual produce of the land and the labor of every country taken complexly. The whole price or exchangeable value of that annual produce must resolve itself into the same three parts and be parceled out among the different inhabitants of the country, either as the wages of labor, of their labor, the profits of their stock, or the rent of their land. But the whole value of the annual produce of the land and labor of every country is thus divided among the, con okay. But though the whole value of the annual produce of the land and labor of every country is thus divided among its, among and constitutes a revenue to its different inhabitants, Yet, as in the rent of a private estate, we distinguish between the gross rent and the neat rent. So we may likewise in the revenue of all the inhabitants of a great country. So gross rent um, and neat rent. Um, neat is another word for net. I'm uh, um, deducing from here. So you have gross pay, right, which is you could say is the or gross revenue revenue before expenses and taxes, and neat revenue would be uh, net revenue. That's after taxes and things like that. All right, so the gross rent of a private estate comprehends whatever is paid by the farmer. The neat rent, what remains free to the landlord, the of management, of repairs, all other charges, or what, without hurting his estate, he can afford to place in his stock reserved ornaments of his house and furniture, his private enjoyments and amusements. His real wealth is in proportion, not to his gross, but to his neat rent. Right, that's what's left after. So the real wealth is not the gross, but to the neat rent. You know how sometimes uh, some people talk about, oh, I did a million dollars in sale. Well, that's the gross sales, right? But to look at the real wealth of anything, you have to look at the net, What's, what comes back after everything is deducted from that. The gross revenue of all the inhabitants of a great country comprehends the whole annual produce of their land and labor. The neat revenue, what remains free to them after deducting the expense of maintaining, first, their fixed, and secondly, their circulating capital, or what, without encroaching upon their capital, they can place in their stock reserved for immediate consumption or spend upon their subsistence, conveniencies, and amusements. Their real wealth too is in proportion not to their gross, but to their neat revenue. The whole expense of maintaining the fixed capital must evidently be excluded from the neat revenue of society. Neither the materials necessary for supporting their useful machines and instruments of trade their profitable buildings, etc., nor the product of the labor necessary for fashioning those materials into the proper form can ever take any part of it. 
the price of that labor may indeed make a part of it, as the workmen so employed may place the whole value of their wages in their stock reserved for immediate consumption. But in other sorts of labor, both the price and the produce go to this stock, the price to that of workmen, the produce to that of other people, whose subsistence, conveniencies, and amusements are augmented the labor of those workmen right augmented mean made better by the labor of those workmen so the price of labor may indeed take a part of it good all right so the intention of the fixed capital is to increase the productive powers of labor or to enable the same number of laborers to perform as perform a much greater quantity of work right so fixed capital that's the capital or the machines and things like that that stay in the hands of one owner or in one place that are not moved about. So fixed capital as opposed to circulating capital that goes out and comes back and changes forms, like alchemy. In a farm where all the necessary buildings, fences, drains, communications, etc., are in the most perfect good order, the same number of laborers and laboring cattle will raise a much greater produce than in one of equal extent and equally good ground, but not furnished with equal conveniencies. In manufactures, the same number of hands assisted with the best machinery will work up a much greater quantity of goods than with more imperfect instruments of trade. The expense, which is properly laid out upon a fixed capital of any kind, is always repaid with great profit and increases the annual produce by a much greater value than that of the support which all such or which such improvements require this support however still requires a certain portion of that produce a certain quantity of materials and the labor of a certain number of workmen both of which might have been immediately employed to augment the food um, both which may have been immediately employed to uh, oh, I lost my place by getting distracted. A certain quantity of materials and the labor of a certain number of workmen, both of which might have been immediately employed to augment the food, clothing, and lodging, the subsistence and conveniencies of the society are thus diverted to another employment, highly advantageous indeed, but still different from this one. It is upon this account that all such improvements in mechanics as enabled the same number of workmen to perform an equal quantity of work with cheaper and simpler machinery than had been used before are always regarded as advantages as advantageous to every society so of course yeah if you can get machinery that uh improvements in mechanics right enable the same number of workmen to perform an equal quantity of work with cheaper and simple machinery then yeah definitely it would be regarded as advantageous every society, good. A certain quantity of materials and the labor of a certain number of workmen, which had before been employed in supporting a more complex and expensive machinery, can afterwards be applied to augment the quantity of work which that or any other machinery is useful for performing. The undertaker of some great manufactory who employs a thousand a year in maintenance of this machinery, if he can reduce this expense to 500, will naturally employ the other 500 in purchasing an additional quantity of materials to be wrought up by an additional number of workmen. 
The quantity of that work, therefore, which his machinery was useful only for performing, will naturally be augmented, and with it all the advantage and conveniency which the society can derive from that work. So these are very simple things right here, of course. Hey, Tony, how you doing? And hello, Therapy Health and Lionel Billy. There, this is, uh, of course, this very simple stuff that's being laid out here, where it's just talking about basic stuff. You know, if you can get machinery to help augment or, or make more efficient the work of people that are doing certain work, then, of course, you can produce more and then hopefully sell it for more and make more and earn more money. So let's take a look here. The expense of maintaining the fixed capital in a great country may very properly be compared to that of repairs in a private estate. Right. So now we're getting onto something different here. So Adam Smith here is now saying the expense of maintaining the fixed capital in a great country. So remember the fixed capital are, are things like the machinery. Like he said just a little bit earlier, he says um, in a farm where all the necessary buildings fences, drains, communications, etc. So those are things considered fixed capital. They stay in one place and under one ownership, as opposed to circulating capital that goes out in one form and comes back in another. All right. So the whole, but the whole expense of maintaining a, the fixed capital is thus necessarily excluded from the neat revenue of the society. Okay. Well, I, I just skipped ahead there for a second, but get that. Um, so the expense of maintaining the fixed capital in a great country may very be properly compared to that of repairs in a private estate. So I'm going to go ahead and here. The way that I'm looking at this is in a form of personal finance, because he's saying that the expense of maintaining a fixed cap, the fixed capital in a great country. So like on the farms and things like that and in, in, in industry and other places could even be the, the computers, you know, in a building. And things like that, right? He's saying that the expense of maintaining the, that fixed capital may be may very properly be compared to that of repairs in a private estate. So, fixing things at home, making your home more efficient, he's he's comparing it to that of of the the machines of industry in the in, in entire country and all of industry. So, this is very interesting to me. This is where we start to learn now about personal finance and stuff. There, how this re relates to us. If you can get yourself to, to hear it and understand it in that way, All right? So continuing, the expense of repairs may frequently be necessary for supporting the produce of the estate and consequently both the gross and the neat rent of the landlord. Hmm. The expense of repairs may frequently be necessary for supporting the produce of the estate. So let's compare this to like, for example, as an Uber driver, one of the things that I do, right? I got to keep up the, I, you know, I go every uh, so often when um, I get alerts and it starts coming towards every 5,000 miles to the car. I have to, I take it in to go get the car serviced. And, uh, you know, so that that's going, and that's compared to the expense of um, supporting the produce of the estate, right? So the produce of this estate, for example, is me. Right. But the, the expense of repair. So I have to get my car serviced. Right. Which may frequently be necessary. Right. For supporting the produce of the estate. Right. So supporting my income. Right. Of, of earning money as a driver. Right. And consequently, both the gross 
and the neat rent of the landlord, right? So that the rent of the landlord, that could be considered car payments, right? So it's, so all of that, the expense of repairs, right? Maintaining my car may frequently be necessary for supporting my income, right? And consequently, both the gross and the neat rent of the landlord. So that means the gross income, the payments to, and then their net. So he's using the word neat here, but we can say net as well. That, that's the word they were using in 1776, Mr. Adam Smith. All right. So when by a more proper direction, however, it can be diminished without occasioning any diminution of produce, the gross rent remains at least the same as before, and the neat rent is necessarily augmented. All right. So if we can diminish or reduce our expenses in repairs, right? So if I can reduce my, uh, by taking good care of my car, right? By one of the ways, of course, is by always taking it in when it needs service, right? Then I can diminish the damage or wear and tear on it, right? And my, my gross rent, the car payments, well, that remains at least the same as before, but the neat rent is necessarily augmented. Well, this would be, I'm comparing this now again, even though before that would be a car payment, but to me, I still, I get more. My net would be more augmented, right? Made better because I'm taking care of it. Continuing. But though the whole expense of maintaining the fixed, oh, another way that I did that, um, by the way, too, is with the, my cleaning company, Dojo Dusters. Instead of having um, myself or the cleaners bring their own the different martial arts studios, I made the contract so that the martial arts studios provide and keep in stock and store all the supplies on site so that the cleaners, the contract cleaners are not having to bring in Ubers and buses or sometimes taxi to the different work sites, the different martial arts studios. So one of the things I did was I had that factored into the pay. So the martial arts studios keep that stuff there. So it's always provided. There's never any excuse. There's always a vacuum, brooms, mops, and all the different cleaning agents that are necessary, rags, towels, and things like that, that are all held, that are all kept and stored at the different locations. Um, and that's in the contract. And I was able to do that without incurring any more expense to me. It's like, hey, you're still going to pay the cleaners. They're $20 an hour, right? But um, you're also going to store and hold all the stuff there, you know, and, you know, of course, the proposal was you know, was what I just said. You'll always have it there. There's, there's It's always going to be standardized because we have a standardized list of the certain things that we use. And and the thing is, is that the, the, the cleaning agents that are used are some of the ones that I found that are best for cleaning, like, for example, boxing gloves, cleaning mats, cleaning off the wiping down the bags, um, cleaning the bathrooms, different things like that, uh, different thing, products for cleaning up sweat and blood and other organic materials and things like that. Um, but then I also found ones that, you know, are, are considered to be more natural, right? Like, because I'm one of these green people, so I like to have, like, organic stuff and things like that. Um, so, you know, I get plant-based and this and kind of, and those type of things that supposedly are, um, not, um, as 
as damaging to the environment as possible, but also finding ones that are really inexpensive and, and, and sourcing them from different places. Like I looked at what, what, the, what Trader Joe's and what Whole Foods and other natural stores carry and how they compare with the, the best cleaning agents from best practices of, of asking around different martial arts studios and things like that. But I'm getting off of here a little bit. I want to get back to the book <clears throat> and um, continue here. So, um, but that, there's one of the things, the gross rent remains at least the same as before and the neat rent is necessarily augmented. But though the whole expense of maintaining the fixed capital is thus necessarily included from the neat revenue of the society, it is not the same case with that of maintaining the circulating capital. Okay, so now we're going on here from fixed capital. Those are the things that are, again, um, buildings, fences, drains, communications, etc. That's fixed capital. Stays in one place in the hands of one owner. Doesn't go out. Now, now circulating capital is a different thing. So let's look at circulating capital that because that stuff goes out. Um, and sometimes comes back in different forms. Like say you have a piece of metal and you send it out to a blacksmith to make it into a hammer and then it comes back in a different way. So that's, that's one example of circulating capital. So continuing, of the four parts of which this latter capital is imposed, money, provisions, materials, and finished work, the three last, it has already been observed, are regularly withdrawn from it and placed either in the fixed capital of the society or in their stock reserved for immediate consumption. So what is he talking about the, these three last? So we have money, provisions, materials, and finished work. Right, provisions, materials, finished work. They've been observed, withdrawn from and placed either in the fixed capital society or in the stock reserved for immediate consumption. Yes, so different provisions um, would be made fixed capital because it stays with one owner, right? Um, money's always circulating. Materials, um, those sometimes get placed in one in one place. So that's fixed capital and finished work. Yep. But, so that's what he's talking about. The three last are regularly withdrawn from circulating capital and placed either in the fixed capital society or in their stock reserved for immediate consumption. So for them to use themselves. Continuing, whatever portion of those consumable goods is not employed in maintaining the former goes all to the latter and makes a part of the neat revenue of the society remember the neat is the net revenue of the society and i'm i'm saying a lot of these things in reminder because i'm learning this myself so i'm repeating to make sure i have it fixed in my mind to the best of my understanding continuing the the maintenance of those three parts of the circulating capital therefore withdraws no portion of the annual produce from the neat revenue of the society besides what is necessary for maintaining the fixed capital. The circulating capital of a society is in this respect different from that of an individual. That of an individual is totally excluded from making any part of his neat revenue which must consist altogether in his profits. But though the circulating capital of every individual makes a part of that of the society to which he belongs, it is not upon that account totally excluded from making a part likewise of their neat revenue. Though the whole goods in a merchant's shop must by no means be placed in his own stock reserved for immediate consumption, they may in that of other people who, from a revenue derived from other funds, may regularly replace their value to him, 
together with its profits, without occasioning any diminution either of his capital or of theirs. Money, therefore, is the only part of the circulating capital of a society of which the maintenance can occasion any diminution in their neat revenue. The fixed capital and that part of the circulating capital which consists in money so far as they affect the revenue of the society bear a very great resemblance to one another. I wonder when he, if he's talk, when he's talking about the revenue of society, if that's sort of like gross domestic um, revenue, gross domestic. Hmm. I, have to, I suppose I'll learn that as I go along, if that is made clear to me at all. Right. So first, as those machines and instruments of trade, etc., require a certain expense, first to erect them and afterwards to support them, both which expenses, though they make a part of the growth, are from the new society. Money in any country must require a certain expense, first to collect it and afterwards to support it, both which expenses, though they make a part of the gross, are, in the same manner, deductions from the neat revenue of the society. A certain quantity of very valuable materials. Oh, every time I, I say gold and silver, I forgot I have to have, have my, my coin to make my sound effects. Because <laughs> I'm goofy like that. All right, so let's see. Let's go back <laughs> so I can do my sound effects. Right. All right, so um, a certain quantity of very valuable materials, materials, gold and silver, and of very curious labor, instead of augmenting the stock reserved for immediate consumption, the subsistence, conveniencies, and amusement of individuals is employed in supporting that great but expensive instrument of commerce by means of which every individual in the society has his subsistence, conveniencies, and amusements regularly distributed to him in their proper proportion. Secondly, as the machines and instruments of trade, etc., which compose the fixed capital either of an individual or of a society, make no part either of the gross or of the neat revenue of either, so money, by means of which the whole revenue of the society is regularly, dis dis regularly distributed among all its different members, makes itself no part of that revenue. The great wheel of circulation is altogether different from the goods which are circulated by means of it. The revenue of the society consists altogether in those goods and not in the wheel which circulates them. In computing either the gross or neat revenue of any society, we must always, from their whole annual circulation of money and goods, deduct the whole value of the money, of which not a single farthing can ever make any part of either. That's right, woman. Earn your money over there. Clean. Clean. You don't need a room for this, just a rag. Little... Yeah, oh a rag and willpower? Yeah. All right. Let's see. Um, it is the ambiguity of language only which can make this proposition appear either doubtful or paradoxical. When properly explained and understood, it is almost self-evident. 
Well, come on, Adam Smith, then let's make it self-evident. I'm, I'm, I'm following along, but barely, brother. Uh, <clears throat> let's see. We talk of any particular sum of money. When we talk of any particular sum of money, we sometimes mean nothing but the metal pieces of which it is composed. And sometimes we include in our meaning some obscure reference to the goods which can be had in exchange for it or to the power of purchasing which the possession of it conveys. Yet this is a very, a very, very important part of understanding money here is the, the fact that uh, money, coins or, or bills of any kind, any currency of any, any place, is simply an expression or representation of the goods and services that are supposed to be um, had with it. Like it's it's supposed to hold a certain amount of value. Hey, Jenny, how you doing over there? Um, good to see you. Let's see. Oh, and hello uh, to everybody over on Wisdom, Mojo, Cecilia Grace, Lola Artifacts, Jerond Jerond Bradley, Untethered Minds, B Channel, Emmett. Glass Brenner, Anthony Thomas, Tony, what's up? Chocolate Yoda, Therapy Health, and Lionel Bailey. Thanks for passing through or sitting a spell to listen while I uh, figure my way through this very long and tedious chapter two of book two of Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations. All right. Well, let's see. So when we talk of any particular sum of money, we sometimes mean nothing but the pieces of metal of which it is composed. And sometimes we include in our meaning some obscure reference to the goods which can be had in exchange for it or to the power of purchasing with which the possession of it conveys. Right? Thus, when we say that the circulating money of England has been computed at 18 millions, we mean only to express the amount of the metal pieces which some writers have computed or rather have supposed to circulate in that country. But when we say that a man is worth 50 or 100 pounds a year, we mean commonly to express not only the amount of metal pieces which are annually paid, annually paid to him, but the value of the goods which he can annually purchase or consume. Aha. Uh -huh. So this is good. So when we're talking about, you know, you ever seen those... Uh, um, Hey, little Rose, you ever seen or ever seen in, in any magazines or anything like that uh, where they talk about like the Fortune 500 top richest people or something like that? I'm not sure. Well, I have heard of that. Yeah, well, I think this is what he's kind of referring to here, but this is 1776. Like when he says, uh, when, when we say that a man is worth 40 or worth 50 or 100 pounds a year, we mean commonly to express not only the amount of the metal pieces, which are annually paid to him, uh, but the value of the goods which he can annually purchase or consume. Uh, what is this? What is this here? What am I seeing? Uh, oh. The FDA. Okay. <clears throat> I'm get, I saw something roll across the top of one of my screens. I was wondering what it was. I thought it was a message about this. Okay, so the goods he can annually purchase or consume. So that's his worth, net worth, or neat worth. Adam says he used the word neat here. We mean commonly to ascertain what is or ought to be his way of living, or the quantity and quality 
of the necessaries and conveniencies of life in which he in with in which he can with propriety indulge himself the quantity and quality of the necessaries and conveniencies of life in which he can with propriety indulge himself did you eat both of those cookies no did you eat any of them <laughs> oh no good we'll have some no 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 i'm i'm gonna um I'm gonna. I made a mix of nuts and chicken. Those uh, <laughs> the you know I used to mix um, no I don't want that right now. <laughs> no, I used to mix um, ch- uh, chicken salad with the trail mix. When I used to get chicken salad, I used to mix it in there like that. It looks good though, but I I don't know why I'm hungry for something. All right, let me see. <laughs> when by any particular sum of money we mean not only to express the amount of the metal pieces of which it is composed, but to include in its signification some obscure reference to the goods which can be had in exchange for them. The wealth or revenue which it in this case denotes is equal only to one of the two values which are thus intimated somewhat ambiguously by the same word, and to the latter more properly than to the former to the money's worth more properly than to the money. Okay, I got to read that again, because this is this is actually an important thing for me to understand here. As I look into the value um, of, of what money means. And, and I, I already have very, you know, basic understanding. But this is the important part here. So this is when by any particular sum of money, we mean not only to express the amount of metal pieces which it is composed of which it is composed but to include in its signification some obscure reference to the goods which can be had in exchange for them the wealth or revenue which it in this case denotes is equal only to one of the two values which are thus intimated somewhat ambiguously by the same word and to the latter more properly than to the former, to the money's worth more properly than to the money. Thus, if a guinea be the weekly pension of a particular person, he can in the course of the week purchase with it a certain quantity of subsistence, conveniencies, and amusements. In proportion as this quantity is great or small, so are his real riches his real weekly revenue. You know, I, I like that about, so th- his um, talking about riches, that, that's interesting because in, I was just looking at that in uh, the psychology of money and how that's the difference between riches and wealth. Riches are the things that people can actually actively on a continual basis buy with the money while, while wealth is what you have in store for all kinds of things, rainy days, um, emergencies, or just for some future um, outing that you want to, or just like retirement, for example, or just conveniences in general that are stored up in the long run. So I remember one definition of wealth was was um, the amount of years or whatever. You can break it down to any um, amount, the amount of days, weeks, months, years, that you can live without working. 
um, and, ma and, and maintain your same lifestyle. So that's your wealth. So whatever your, your desired lifestyle is, your wealth um, is how long you can, you can go without working and maintain your lifestyle. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's one of the definitions. I don't know if I'll be able to immediately track it down in the psychology of money, um, but maybe that's not necessary for now. Because again, like I said, <clears throat> I got to get through this. Adam Smith made a long chapter two of uh, the book two of Wealth of Nations. All right, so let's continue here. His weekly revenue is certainly not equal both to the guinea and to what can be purchased with it, but only to one or other of those two equal values and to the latter more properly than to the former, to the guinea's worth rather than to the guinea. Mm. What can be purchased with it? Ah, yes. So his weekly revenue is certainly not equal both to the guinea and to what can be purchased with it, but only to one or the other of those two equal values and to the latter more properly. Yes, what can be purchased with it? See, that's it. That's it right there. To the latter more properly than to the former. So to what can be bought with it than to the former, to the guinea's worth rather than to the guinea. So what can be purchased with something? rather than it itself like people put these like the like the the spot price of gold and silver are changing all the time right so but what can be bought with it that's the real value of it what can what can you get for what what subsistence what necessaries as he says and or conveniences and amusements can be purchased with it what's the real value if the pension of such a person was paid to him not in gold but in a weekly bill for a guinea, his revenue surely would not so properly consist in the piece of paper as in what he could get for it. Yes. Yes. It's downloading. Um, it's downloading, right? And this is, this is also my confirmation bias because this is what I thought. All right. So if the pension of such a person was paid to him not in gold... But in a bill for a guinea, his revenue surely would not so properly consist in the piece of paper as in what he could get for it. See, that's this is also giving giving me um, uh, reminiscence of of the gold standard, right? Like before dollar bills and things like that, there were silver certificates and they actually were backed by gold. But see, even the gold that backs it and all that stuff, this is why I always, when people talk about stocking up on gold and silver, of course, which, I mean, I have, but it's not, that's really not worth any. So imagine if there was a zombie apocalypse, right? You can't very well go around using gold and silver coins or gold bars to get to get anything because nobody gives a fuck. What's that? No, no, they're worthless in this case. Because, like, in, think about it. In the zombie apocalypse, what is somebody going to do with gold? or silver, right? And I'm saying zombie apocalypse, but it could be any kind of, it could be any kind of, you know, crash. Like say if a, a big old coronal mass ejection or, or sunspot crops up and knocks out all of the electronics with a massive EMP and we get sent into some kind of like a Mad Max type of society. And tools and right, like who's going to want gold, right? Unless they can fashion it into something 
um, or re use it to rebuild tech some certain technology with. But for the most part, gold and silver have no uses. I mean, silver more than gold because it's more, it's harder, and it you know it can it's it's not as soft as gold because it can be used for more things. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you can make gold and silver bullets. There was a, a there was you know there was a character in Golden. I think it was Goldeneye who had a it was the million dollar like he had. It was a golden gun. It was a man. No, it was a man with a golden gun, and he shot gold, gold bullets. And like he, he would shoot. It would be a million dollar, million dollars per hit. But anyway, no. But like Adam Smith talks about earlier in, um, in this book about two different kinds of value. He talks about use value and exchange value. So like water has a high use value, but in in modern society, even then, uh, water had very little exchange value. So like you couldn't go to somebody and be like, hey, can I? Give you some water for some uh, whatever the hell you're eating over there. What is it? Chicken mixed with uh, the trail mix, right? You would be like, "Fuck no, I don't want that. I already got water. I got it on tap, right?" But like, but then if I bought you a piece of gold or silver, you'd be like, "Oh yeah, here, 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 here take all my chicken and trail mix." Right? But but that's weird though, even though it's true that people. But he actually said diamonds. So he said that um, that gold. I mean, well, so water has a high use value, but very little exchange value, whereas a diamond has very little use value, at least in 1776 at the time of the writing, but has very high exchange value because everybody be like, yeah, I want the diamond. Give me the diamond and I'll give you as many fish as you want or cows or whatever, right? For however they decide that size of a diamond, the carrots of diamonds are worth. But, but, but check this out. But then again, let's go back to the zombie apocalypse scenario. Or a Mad Max scenario, right? Like post-apocalypse, like in Mad Max, what did they have? A big tanker of what? That was the most valuable thing. It was, uh, do you remember? It was a big tanker of... Um, water. Yeah, water. And that was the biggest thing that they were fighting over to protect this big tanker of water. And, oh, and that's what had the most value. So, so, I mean, that's crazy, though, how people... But I'll get into that another right. time <clears throat> in my more conspiratorially... Uh, uh, aimed talks. Oh, Jenny's here. Let me say hi to Jenny. Hey, Jenny. Hey, Jenny. How you doing? What's up? You were on the mic. Hey. What's going on? Nothing much. Love hearing you read. I love the jangle of the coins. Sound effects are what it's all about. That's right. I have a I have a little vault of uh, bars and coins. They're fun to look at, but I, I, I fail to see sometimes their real inherent value. <clears throat> yeah, I keep buying food. I can't stop. <laughs> I keep well, thinking of all these breastfeeding mothers in our family and making certain there's food for them to well, feed their babies. On your new granddaughter. Thank you. She's doing really well. That's good. My daughter well, came home from the hospital on Monday, so she's awesome. home. I think the baby That's will amazing. be in the hospital for at least another week. Okay. Yeah, how, how um, um, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm on Wisdom as well, and they can hear you too, so any questions you don't feel like answering, but I know you do a lot of stuff publicly as well on your own shows. Um, how, how old is she now? How, that was like, two, is she two weeks old? She is, uh, she was born on Labor Day, so it's a week and a day. A week and Eight a day. days. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, she's a little, little thing. And how, how premature was she? Five weeks. 
five weeks. Well, that's not so bad, but yeah, any premature. It could have been. It could have been more. It could have been worse, right? Yeah. No, she's doing great. She was never put on oxygen, no medications. She's just had a little feeding tube in her yeah. nose, and my daughter's been able to breastfeed her from day one, which Good. has been just a miracle. So, yeah. all yeah. things are going well. I had a question for you, Hakeem. Did you listen yeah. to that show this morning with Alex Soros? I was there too. No, I, I've been. I've had to change my schedule. I was like, I, I slept today until like, I got, I didn't stop working until like six or seven in the morning and slept until like three. <laughs> oh, I thought you were in that show. I, I was just wondering if that's true. But I don't see it. I mean, if, if anything, it, it, I could have just kind of looked into a room or something for a second, but I don't know. I don't even remember. Well, he's been on Colin for quite a while, but he, I'm wondering if he's George Soros' son. He kind of looks like him. His name's Alex Soros. The t things he talks about are kind of things you'd think a, a Soros would talk about. I was just waiting for him to open up the room so we could talk, but he never did. He was just playing somebody, giving is lectures the, um, on. Is the uh, is the has it been published on Colin? I don't know. Broadcast? I didn't. I didn't even look. But it was, yeah. it was really interesting. I wanted him to open it up and talk to me because it was like are you who i think you are i went looking for and all of his photos online he's got hair and so um in the show today he had the video on and he was bald so i was like who is this person the it's midnight everybody the photo he uses in the east coast the photo he uses for his user profile is of alex soros with hair hmm. so i was like who are you? Anyway, it was interesting because I would love to talk to him. I'm going to put Alex the link in the chat to his profile. I don't even know what George Soros looks like, actually. I mean, I've probably seen some photos around, but he's one of those people that I don't immediately have access to matching, associating his name with his face. I put his link in his for his bio in the chat. And, oh, uh, let me take a look at that. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's there. The show he did this morning is emotional intelligence training. He called it. But he always had also has shows called F off, which which would also kind of be a gotta have such a hard life with so many people hating his father. I mean, I don't know enough about I don't pay that much attention to hate his father. I don't what what what's Give me the breakdown. What's what's the hate about? Well, there's all this history of him partnering with um, Nazis and doing the bidding of his Nazi overlords to help further the goals of the World Economic Forum and globalism. And he's done oh. things like pay for the campaigns of people in America who were working to kind of tear it down. And so especially conservatives. There's a lot of conservatives who hate him and identify him as Mr. Evil. I don't know that he is. I mean, he definitely has been part of the World Economic Forum's uh, monetary ambitions around third world countries where mm. they will go in with the International Monetary Fund and loan, give big loans and then, you know, expect all this interest. And he makes, he's made his fortune on that sort of interest 
And when they couldn't pay back the loans, you know, of course they come in and try to seize all the assets of the country. And it's, it's some shady stuff, but I I feel for the, I feel for the kids of these demons because I think, you know, they're, they're just kind of lumped in with their parents. Yeah. That's kind of why I wanted to talk to them. Mm. I don't know. I mean, that's a thing though. I mean, ever since, you know, colonialism, like I noticed um, when I lived in China, the, there are a lot of Chinese companies that have invested in different types of assets and, in, you know, infrastructure in Africa and at different African countries. And I wonder, you know, what's going to happen if they can't pay back or do this all this other stuff. You know what I mean? Um, the, the same situation going into seizing assets or even seizing control of uh, different um, countries and stuff like that. Yeah, well, I think there was definitely a move afoot over the last few decades to globalize everything and um, kind of take the the poorer nations, you know, by storm if necessary, uh, and constantly doing things to destabilize them. And so, how how much George Soros was involved in all that, I don't know. But he he made a lot of money, and then his son is set to inherit all of it. This Alex. So I was like, am I looking at Alex Soros right now in this video? I mean, I, it was weird. Hmm. I wonder. I'll look into it a little bit more. I, like I said, I don't pay attention a lot. I hear George Soros' name all the time, Soros, 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 this, that, but I, I don't really, you know, I, my mind is occupied with just certain things for some reason. I just don't uh, look into too much. And yeah, well, there's too much, too much information. And I'm so pleased that you're doing this effort to read the classics because I love revisiting them and hearing you say these words, you know, and just the resonation, resonant tone and the, you know, kind of when you say it out loud, it's different than when you just read it in a book and yeah. uh, it's and motivated. Really it's, oh, go ahead. It's motivated me to do some reading of stuff that I haven't read in a long time. Yeah. I just want to, one of the things that I'm really happy about is, first of all, I'm having fun reading it and understanding the language and looking at, because the thing is that in all the modern books on economics that I'm reading, Adam Smith is constantly referred to over and over again. Um, Adam Smith and, of course, Karl Marx and lots of people. And so that are, you know, have written these, you know, classic texts and they're still their hand is still heavily influential in the world, the global economy. And so I'm just looking at the roots of it. Plus I've learned from a lot of college students. So I'm not surprised because of time constraints, but hardly anyone that I know of has read wealth of nations or any of those books from cover to cover. So I'm, you know, doing this endeavor to do something that not very many people do. But also, I just feel like it'll give me a good understanding and foundation to a lot of the other things I'm looking at as well. Well, my husband told me this morning that Mark Levin, who's a Fox News host, is starting a new Saturday night weekly show. And his very first guest is going to be Thomas Sowell. So Mm. if you want to have a treat, yeah, if you want to have a treat, kind kind of watch for that. I'm sure it'll be out on YouTube on video. I don't know that I'll watch it live, but I just love him. He's got to be in his 80s, like 80s. Yeah, I've just recently learned about Thomas Sowell in in reading the book by 
Robert Kiyosaki called the Capitalist Manifesto. Um, oh, Sarah, you got a, um, did you turn the headphones on? Uh, hold it down until the blue and red flashes and then it'll show up on yours. Yeah, and then when it flashes blue and red, then you'll see. No, you gotta hold it down longer. And then, um, right, and then hold it down again until you see flashing blue and red. There we go. Now it's ready to print. And then um, turn on the Bluetooth again, and it should pop up as J Labs. Not the GoWork, but there should be another one popping up there. Oh, that's it. Uh, yeah, J Labs, J Buds, GoWork. All right. Um, yeah, um, I just, this is kind of my own little endeavor. It's so tedious sometimes, this book, Jenny. But when, when I look at it and work it out in my head and I start to understand, I, I get really excited um, that I'm able to understand this because it starts to put together different, um, it starts to connect the dots of different information that I've read in other places and starts to make a lot of sense. And it shows me that a lot of these folks who are economists or like people like Robert Kiyosaki, they've definitely done their homework or, or at least have been initiated into this information. And so I'm, I'm starting to see elements of it everywhere now, because this is, you know, one of the founding books of that. I mean, this book was published the same year um, that the United States was officially established in 1776. Well, these guys were to me the result of the Renaissance and they were kind of like peak Renaissance men who were well-versed in the arts and in um, civics and the law and medicine. And they were the scientists of their age. And they took all of that wisdom they gathered up during the enlightenment and put it in all of these great works. And they are difficult to read because they, their vocabularies, their vocabulary was so expansive I'm always struck when I go read original source material from the founding fathers and others of that generation at how many words they use that I have never heard. <laughs> I always have to get out a dictionary, you know, and I'm not an idiot. I, I, I'm very well read, you know, but they just knew the language and they were the masters of it. Well, and these, you I know, totally these... what was that? The... These um, books laid the totally foundation. Yeah, they laid the foundation of Western civilization. Oh yeah. Oh, what and I was going to say. We have nothing because I have to look up a lot of words as well, and I do it as I'm going along. But it clarifies so many things for me once I do that. Um, I don't think it's a good idea to to. A lot of times, a whole entire paragraph or sentence will be lost if you don't understand one one word in it. Right. Hey, Guru Warrior, I see you there. That definitely stretches. I'm going to put a link to Mark Levin's show in the chat, just so if you want to go look it up, you can find his interview with Thomas Sowell. It should be really so, good. I don't know if you're going to hang around for a while, Jenny, but I invited you up to speak, and I'm going to, um, so you can say hello whenever you want. I'm going to take a, take a, a call from Guru Warrior on Wisdom. So over on Wisdom, say what's up for a moment here. 
and yeah oh boy so this is a big big project for me this wealth of nations hello how you doing hi how are you excellent so wealth attraction research you really don't have to research it you have to mess with your subconscious mind yeah tell me more yeah okay so on youtube you know you have to pay attention to the universe universe source god whatever find your numbers numbers are everywhere right and you're the type of person that pays attention to details to the point where it's quite meticulous so if you see a certain number and listen to the frequency and the frequency sometimes say money attraction things like that and you keep listening to it and you know great things will happen listen to different philosophies you know understand different types of worship or you know meditation not so emerald tablets you know, there's stuff about samadhi and reaching highest of height, self-understanding. Kind of hard to explain. Well, you know, one of the things way. that I, I do with this information that I'm researching is um, I've developed my own concept, which is not entirely original, but of collecting these details of different economic and financial and ideas about money and using it to plant into my subconscious mind uh, a sort of working similar to the one in the material and physical world so that I can string together ideas sort of on a timeline and work backwards. So in NLP, when I was in the Hypnosis Motivation Institute um, studying to be a clinical hypnotist, one of our courses was in neurolinguistic programming. And we learned about timelining and how to look at a future event or goal that we envision and filling it with as many details as a completed project as possible and then working backwards in time from there to see what parts need to come before that so like if you're you see a, a pavlov what about pavlov well basically that whole spiel kind of sounded like pavlov Ring the bell, get the money. Ring the bell, get the money. Sure. Um, well, I was thinking a little bit differently, sort of like having the end goal being a finished table. You know, you got a top and four legs. And then working backwards, it, it only has three legs, two, one, and, and then there's a top. And then how do those things get formed from maybe a single log? And you, you whittle down the legs from that and the top from that. And then where did that come from before it was a tree? That tree had to be before that before that step of whittling it down, that tree had to be cut down, so on and so forth, and just working backwards to where it was and then planting that seed. So just working backwards to see all the steps That's that, nice. I like yeah, that. To have to, to come forward. So um which is, you know, a really oversimplified way of looking at it, but uh that concept of working with the subconscious, um I'm I've been learning. For a long time and i have a lot to go but it's um one of the things that i work with so i appreciate you you um emphasizing that 
Oh, yeah. I opened up my third eye. Too much. I mean, it's already open, but too much. Mm. Start to see crazy stuff. As the universe, it's a, it's a sort of an analog in some ways because it, I, I see the mind as separate from the brain and that there's a different place where information is stored. We just have to be able to find different ways to access it. Um, I've found that I can do a lot more mental work than I can physical work. And so um, I've never felt that I can get too much information. Um, maybe if, if I was a different person that it would overwhelm me, but reading a lot and studying a lot and learning things, it actually never stopped for me. Even when I look at That's movies. That's not what I'm talking about. Well, then clarify. What do you mean? Uh, too much information. Um, it's almost like you can hear people talk constantly. Like, and they're not really people kind of experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sometimes I'm drawn to people who need help. Sometimes I get too much information, even about myself. But what do you so mean? I have to play. But I still don't understand. What do you mean too much information? Is it overwhelming to you? It's what like it. Yeah, yeah, it's noisy sometimes, you know? Well, there's you don't a, want to stop talking. Well, don't you know that there are, um, I mean, have you ever considered or don't you, do you use techniques to bring down that overwhelm? Because I, I understand that. That's why I told you. I use Il Tatia. Um, that's my favorite because that's for healing. Hmm. Indonesian chant. Took me three years to learn how to say it, but it's really cool. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but I made a mistake, but actually it's very important that you do that. Shadow work is, it helps you grow. Yes. Even if, you know, you can't I agree. meditate, you know, just be quiet, be still. It's in the Bible, it's everywhere. Be still and know that I am. That's it. Mm. Those words have been written over and over again in all kinds of texts, not just the Bible. Right, correct. That's what we need to attract, just to be still, be quiet. No, well, there's a time and place for everything. And you, yourself will tell you how to get that, to be quiet. Mm -hmm. It's hard, trust me. I mean, when you get there, sometimes you totally forget how to get back. Kind of like the yellow brick road. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Alice in Wonderland or something. The whole. I'm off to see the, the wizard, hole. the wonderful wizard yeah. of Oz. Or maybe it's the rabbit hole. You have to go down and come back and try again. Mm. So you would. Mental chess. 
Mm. Not easy. People talk about, you know, all the time, uh, attraction, 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 do this, do that, do this, do this. No, everybody has their own formula. So, I mean, for me to even sit here and try to explain, I can't. Watch something on YouTube called Awaken the World. That's the name of the channel. And they have all kinds of stuff. It'll blow your mind. So just put your hands on your head. Mm -hmm. I would start with Samadhi. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. Well, thanks for the, right. for the um, suggestion. I appreciate it. All right. And with that, I'm out. Okay. All right. Appreciate you, Guru Warrior. All right. All right then. Be, be well. All right. So I just sure. heard from uh, Guru Warrior. Jenny was on uh, Guru Warrior on Wisdom. Jenny on uh, Colin. Cool. How you doing? All right. So I'm going to continue here with, uh, unless Jenny, if you had, just had something to add real quick, I'm going to slog my way through the rest of this if i all of a sudden if i all of a sudden drop off it's just because my husband came to bed and i had to go quiet so it's that's all good. it appreciate you you too all right, Jenny. all right let's see let's see here yeah um all right so i'm back in uh book two chapter two wealth of nations adam smith seventeen seventy six. And this chapter, oh boy, has this name of money considered as a particular branch of the general stock of society or of the expense of maintaining the national capital. All right, let's see. Uh, we were talking about the value of money and how ambiguous and obscure it is. And so I'm going to start back at the beginning of this last page I left off, page 200. <clears throat> yeah, I'm almost uh, halfway through the, this big ass book. All right, so it says, if the pension of such a person was paid to him, not in gold, but in a weekly bill for the guinea, his revenue surely would not so properly consist in the piece of paper as in what he could get for it. A guinea may be considered as a bill for a certain quantity of necessaries and conveniences upon all the tradesmen in the neighborhood. The revenue of the person to whom it is paid does not so properly consist in the piece of gold as in what he can get for it or in what he can exchange it for. If it could be exchanged for nothing, it would, like a bill upon a bankrupt, be of no more value than the most useless piece of paper. Yes, exactly. And that's what I was talking about earlier. Like if there was an apocalypse, a, po a crazy event of some kind that happened, then gold would be worthless silver would be worthless for the most part because what could you exchange for it um it would be just like the paper money that people were burning in the streets in the weimar republic trillions and trillions of dollars people were burning it kids were stacking it up in the streets playing with it because it didn't have any more value value is is an agreement you know the, the, there were different societies that used cowrie shells some even used believe it or not pieces of dung from certain animals so you know Everything has value differently to different people, and it's the agreement upon the value of what it is. Continuing, 
though the weekly or yearly revenue of all the different inhabitants of any country in the same manner may be and in reality frequently is paid to them in money their real riches however the real weekly or yearly revenue of all of them taken together must always be great or small in proportion to the quantity of consumable goods which they can all of them purchase with this money the whole revenue of all of them taken together is evidently not equal to both the money and the consumable goods, but only to one or other of those two values, and to the latter more properly than to the former. So yes, again, again, he's emphasizing that it's what you can get for what you have rather than the thing you actually have, right? So again, it's an agreement, right? Because the, the agreement's gonna change. When the shit goes down, you better be ready, right? The value of stuff is going to change, uh, you know, when that happens. Um, yeah, ice ice, there are industrial uses to gold, but not in certain situations. Um, and there were, in, in the time of Adam Smith and in, in times before, there were, there were not very many industrial uses. There were mostly ornamentation. And if you look back, of course, many people, we know that many empires had rulers who were said to be rulers um, because they claimed to be descendants or or gods themselves of claimed to be descendants of or were themselves gods, and so when they they wore gold and different ornaments and things like that, which were supposedly difficult to mine gold more than uh, silver more than gold, um, it's because of their heritage, their their uh, divine right, their their um, their statehood, and so. So sometimes there weren't, you know, money had uh, value in different ways in utility, um, in, in ornamentation and fashion and technology and all that. But yes, definitely there are industrial uses for gold, but in certain times that will change. So let's see, um, the whole revenue of all of them taken together is evidently not equal to both the money and the consumable goods, but only to one or other of those two values and to the latter more properly than to the former. So yes, what you can get for it. And that's if people agree to it because people may agree that water is more valuable than diamonds in certain times because water has more use value. Diamonds right now and gold and silver have exchange value, but they don't have very much use value in certain times, especially and what I'm talking about, I'm getting that to the foundation of real value. Um, not and, and people, real value, what are the things that we mainly require is fresh air, clean water, nutritious food, right? Clothing and shelter. Um, the, the value that, that really gets down to it. So uh, continuing, though we frequently, therefore, express a person's revenue by the metal pieces which are usually paid to him, it is because the amount of those pieces regulates the extent of his power of purchasing or the value of goods which he can annually afford to consume. We still consider his revenue as consisting in this power of purchasing or consuming and not in the pieces which convey it. That's the such the important part there. There's a person's revenue consists in their power of purchasing or consuming and not the pieces which convey it, not the paper money, not the gold and silver, 
not the cowrie shells, not the dung from certain animals, none of that. It's what they can get for it. That's why, um, for example, like Project Paperclip, scientists were brought over, um, not because they were Nazis, but because of the information they had, because of their value, because the United States wanted their rocket program, their the science that those people had. Why do you think the United States has such an open border policy, bringing in so many scientists and academics because we want to be the best. And so that's the, the value is that it's what they, what we can, the power of purchasing or consuming or the power of the technology, the power that is behind that information. All right, so continuing. But if this is sufficiently evident, even with regard to an individual, it is still more so to, with regard to a society. The amount of the metal pieces which are annually paid to an individual is often precisely equal to his revenue, and is upon that it is upon that account the shortest and best expression of its value. But the amount of the metal pieces which circulate in a society can never be equal to the revenue of all its members, as the same guinea which pays the weekly pension of one man today may pay that of another tomorrow and that of a third the day thereafter. The amount of the metal pieces which annually circulate in any country must always be of much less value than the whole money pensions annually paid with them. But the power of purchasing or the goods which can successively be brought, bought with the whole of those money pensions as they are successively paid must always be precisely of the same value with those pensions, as must likewise be the revenue of the different persons to whom they are paid. That revenue, therefore, cannot consist in those metal pieces of which the amount is so much inferior to its value, but in the power of purchasing in the goods which can successively, success, successively be bought with them as they circulate from hand to hand. Money, therefore, the great wheel of circulation, the great instrument of commerce, like all other instruments of trade, though it makes a part of a very valuable part of the capital, makes no part of the revenue of the society to which it belongs. And though the metal pieces of which it is composed, in the course of their annual circulation, distribute to every man the revenue which properly belongs to him, they make themselves no part of that revenue. Yeah, value, right? Um, remember, the produce of the land and the labor of humankind. That's the value right there that the, the metal pieces and the paper money represent the the produce of the land and the labor of humankind. Thirdly, continuing, thirdly and lastly, the machines and instruments of trade, etc., which compose the fixed capital, bear this further resemblance to that part of the circulating capital which consists in money that as every saving in the expense of erecting and supporting those machines, which does not diminish the productive powers of labor, okay. is an important or in a, an improvement, sorry. What the heck is all these things popping up across my screen right now? <clears throat> oh, hey. What's up? All right, so... Thirdly and lastly, the machines and instruments of trade, etc., which compose the fixed capital, bear this further resemblance to that part of the circulating capital which consists in money, 
that as every saving in the expense of erecting and supporting those machines, which does not diminish the productive powers of labor, is an improvement of the neat revenue of the society. So every saving in the expense of collecting and supporting that part of the circulating capital, which consists in money, is an improvement of exactly the same kind. Hello, Guru Warrior, once again, what's up? Seventeen seventy seventeen seventy six. It's called The Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith. Oh my goodness. Okay. The guy who couldn't get into the Continental Congress. I don't know about that. I don't know anything about Adam Smith not getting into a Continental Congress. He's a Scotsman and he wrote this uh in seventeen seventy six, interesting enough, the same year as the founding of our great country, the US of A. Hey Gator, how you doing down there, brother? I understand that, but I mean, you have to read between the lines. Some of the connotations are very racist. I'm sorry. Some, some, some of the what? Some of the connotations um, are equal mm -hmm. to slavery. And basically, I mean, if this is one of the founding fathers. No, he, he's say, not. You know, Adam Smith is not one of the. He's not one of the founding fathers of the United States and the stuff about any, any of the underlying things being racist. I don't care about. I'm here strictly for the information. I, I mean, I, I will make all kinds of, uh, uh, comments about racist remarks and things like that, but I've actually read in earlier parts of this book and commentary that he's made, um, in that time. And he's actually seems to me from his writing to be a very fair-minded person who doesn't seem to be racist to me but he talks about slavery he talks about indentured servitude he addresses all of these things in his book That's and he, what I was say and, yeah. he and he does it he, he does it in a very um objective way um and so i appreciate his writing in that but i but other than that like That's i'm not yeah i mean it's, I mean, he's speaking from his time and he definitely <clears throat> talks about those things, but he also looks at everything, or at least it seems like as he wrote it more objectively. I mean, Karl Marx, some of so, the, yeah. Basically, we need to look at, you know, back in the day when we had the gold standard, right, where the dollar was equal to gold or something. Something like that. Yeah, every dollar had, um, yeah, every dollar represented a, a specific portion of gold, a very small amount. Yeah. So if we looked at the value of gold today at around two thousand um, dollars, one dollar would be one two thousandth of of a piece of of an ounce of gold. Yeah, yeah but that's not where the money is anymore. And if I were people, um. I would definitely invest in electronic money, but not with the government. Um, well, interestingly enough, the United States is issuing um, a new currency, a digital currency, supposedly to kind of counteract what's happening uh, with BRICS. Um, do you, so, uh, the Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, the group BRICS group, um, they, they're coming out with their own supposedly gold-backed currency. And um, the, uh, yeah, and um, the, the United 
state looking at um, different digital yeah. chain yeah different digital and they've been doing it for a long time um and uh let me see Archer.guru that i've been looking at a lot that has some really great stuff um i mean it has today it has such titles such as uh bricks could argentina reject its invitation europe could benefit from bricks expansion not the u.s not BRICS. Uncontrolled debt could bring down could bring the U.S. dollar down. BRICS. Saudi Arabia and India set to expand economic ties. BRICS. Western sanctions continue to strengthen alliance. BRICS. Expansion to boost European trade. Um, BRICS. India aggressively dumping the U.S. dollar inside side of say. And then the one I was talking about finally uh, published yesterday, September 11th. It says U.S. to launch CBDC currency to confront BRICS de-dollarization? Question mark. So, um, yep. that's why I said hoard your money, get it out of the bank quickly. Well, that's one way to do it. Um, you know, one of the things though. What's what's funny, though, is that this is one of the things that I've been alluding to a lot, is that the real wealth that people should be uh, amassing is how to store and purify and clean water, how to grow and store food and non-perishable items and seeds and things like that, and knowledge of how to grow and farm, things like that. Um, those are that that's the real worth worth and value that actually matters the proof of and then the labor of humankind how we gold silver all that stuff like that yeah that's one thing that's just an agreement but that shit ain't going to be worth anything in certain situations yeah that's why we have social security okay yes hey jenny one of the things that i do and this is in case if we have some sort of a pulse that takes out electronics and we can't cook is I have a storage of water, about a three month supply of water bottles. And then I store seeds. And the reason why I store seeds is you can live on sprouts. You can live on wheat sprouts and bean sprouts and lentil sprouts and alfalfa. And uh, they're not very fun to eat. I've done it. They're not Mm -hmm. very fun, but you will survive. And so if you didn't have a source of fuel for cooking and you didn't have the ability to turn on an electric stove, all you need is a mason jar and some water and you can live. Yeah, that's a, that's a hot tip right there. Yeah, all you need is berries, uh, you know, fermented food. Yeah, and see, this is why the stuff about gold and silver and digital currencies is important because i mean who knows how economies will crash rise fall how um the world will change or anything like that and those things are important to understand and know but it's also important to see what they really represent and that and they represent subsistence they represent the produce of the land they represent what we can breathe what we can drink and what we can eat and how we can clothe and shelter ourselves that's the real value of all these things because what are what else are people exchanging those things for right we take our money we go to the grocery store it's i mean no one can live without fresh air clean water and healthy food so 
that's the real value. And that's what I continually point to as the most important thing. So everybody who says that those survivalists and those preppers are nut jobs. Yeah. Well, just wait, you know, I'm not, I'm hoping that stuff doesn't happen. Right. But that people's minds are completely going to change if situations like that happen. They're like, Oh gosh, those are the folks that people are going to be running to. Sprouted lentils have the highest concentration of vitamin C of any food. So to think you'd get scurvy or one of those deficiency diseases eating this diet is just not true. Wait, say that one more time, Jenny. Sprouted lentils, highest concentration of vitamin C. Got that part, but you said something else. It would prevent scurvy. Oh, right. Or any of those deficiency diseases. Yeah, the trick is if, if you have little kids, it's hard to get them to eat sprouts. Yeah. You know, you could grind it up into like an oatmeal type thing, but um, you will survive. And for a lot of city dwellers, and we're in an apartment complex with no land, no independent water, um, we, you know, if the power's off, we can make it with these water and seed supplies. But, you know, a lot of people don't have more than a week's supply of food in their home. And That's so true. my message to people always is to put put a month's supply in. And once you get that done, put in a three-month supply. If, if there was any time to do this sort of prepping, right now is the time. Oh, yeah. You know what I just discovered today was um, in my I dug out of my trunk this stainless steel container, that I, a food container that I had. And it had trail mix that had been sitting there for like two months. And I was, I thought, mm, I'm going to take a chance. And I ate it and it was still fresh and cause you know, it was all dried nuts and fruit and it didn't make me sick. So there's an, another thing. Um, those different dried nuts and fruits last a long time. Guru, what were you saying? I can, it's worth it. Everything. My, uh, mayor actually, um, put aside some space for, uh, vertical farming. So if you uh, volunteer, you get free, you know, yeah. stuff that you grow. You know, I think it's all that reminds me of this movie, Lorenzo's Oil, where um, different people were helping the family of this guy, this kid, this child, um, Lorenzo Michael Murphy Odoni, who had this disease called adrenal leukodystrophy, and they were bringing different produce from uh their garden and exchanging and stuff like that and certain payments it was really awesome to see how they came up with a cure for this disease and they were helping each other out different people in the neighborhood bringing baskets of tomatoes and vegetables and all the stuff like that it was really great um and they they came up with a, a way to slow down and halt the um myelin degeneration of this disease and many children thereafter have been able to survive much longer um, because of this discovery of using erucic acid, which is an extract from rapeseed oil and oleic acid, an extract from olive oil in order to, to, to uh, initiate a process called competitive inhibition that in which this single enzyme that usually elongates certain bad fatty acids, we'll call them, and was distracted by the erucic acid and oleic acid um, and when it elongated those and put those into the body, it didn't eat away at the myelin and the nerves. And so, um, anyway, that just reminded me of that movie because they were 
they were bartering with fruit and vegetables. It was awesome. Was it, was it an autoimmune disease? I'm not sure if I recall how it um, comes about, but it's, 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 it's in the same class as like um, any, any of the demyelinating, demyelinating diseases, like um, uh, lateral, like sclerosis, and um, I know that there are other autoimmune diseases that, um, but in this case, it was, I yeah, and, and yeah, I, I, I remember you saying that, um, that you've been, uh, yeah, that you've been fighting that. Um, but yeah, there, there are some uh, diseases that they call um, autoimmune diseases that affect the myelin that degrades it and things like that, so. It might be. I have to look into it. I've kept up. Watch that again. I do. It was really good. Ali Berry was in that. It was her son. Oh no, no, no. Lorenzo's oil was with um, Nick Nolte and Susan Sarandon. Really? Yeah. Um, okay. Lorenzo's oil. Oh. Uh, and uh, it was written by a doctor, uh, a physician who turned screenwriter. So he it was a lot of accurate information in that film. Groundbreaking film, not, not a lot of people know about it, and it's probably one of those things pushed down by a lot of the so-called, you know, pharmaceutical giants just because Big of the, the information that's in it. Yeah, it would be considered an orthomolecular treatment because um, in the 1968 paper by Linus Pauling, he wrote a, a paper called Orthomolecular Psychiatry. Varying the concentrations of substances normally occurring in the body may control, prevent, and treat mental diseases. And so... He pointed out that he pointed out that diabetes was a can be treated orthomolecularly because insulin is a substance naturally occurring in the body and you can vary its concentrations and and so on and so forth. So different things like that um, he pointed out. But uh, yeah, all those different things. Anything that everything that naturally occurs in the body can be varied the concentrations of it and it can either help or hurt. Um, and that's. You know, yes. but I, I don't want to turn this into. Uh, I want to. I want to continue reading. Um, if you have anything else to say, I, I'll. Continue reading. It was very interesting, and I am worried about the market situation. Well, a lot of people Every are. Every time I go to the supermarket, I raise my hand up and say, "Somebody catch that thief that stole my purse! I'm being robbed." <laughs> That's why some people call. You ever, ever heard people call Whole Foods Whole Paycheck? <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. I can't even shop there, but you know, I really am, and I really am looking for a solution. But what you're reading is kind of giving me the solution and understanding money in well, a different way. Yeah, I'm. I'm looking. Money is is really the the exchange value. That's really what it is. What can be exchanged for what? It really all comes back down to bartering. Like what, whatever you have, can it be exchanged for something that you actually need? Fresh, you know, air, clean water, healthy food. Um, that's the real value because no one can survive without those things. And that's what we need to look at as the value of money. So um, I appreciate those thoughts from Jenny and from Guru Warrior. Um, and definitely gives me a lot to think about the stuff that, that you were saying. So I appreciate it. Awesome. I'm out. All right, sister. Much love. <clears throat> All right. Let me see. 
All right, so Adam Smith, he uh, continues here, he says, it is sufficiently obvious, and it has partly too been explained already, in what manner every saving in the expense of supporting the fixed capital is an improvement of the neat revenue of the society. The whole capital of the undertaker, of every work, is necessarily divided between his fixed and his circulating capital. While his whole capital remains the same, the smaller the one part, the greater must necessarily be the other. It is the circulating capital which furnishes the material and materials and wages of labor and puts industry into motion. Every saving, therefore, in the expense of maintaining the fixed capital, which does not diminish the productive powers of labor, must increase the fund which puts industry into motion and consequently the annual, pro annual produce of land and labor, the real revenue of every society. Yes. Good. So I'm understanding this now. Seems perfectly because he made it very clear there. And that's what I was saying. That So anytime you can, ex you can save expenses in maintaining your equipment and the stuff that helps you produce what you need, um, the more goes into your own pockets, so to speak, and into society as a whole, right? So because um, what he says, right? So the, therefore, every saving, therefore, in the expense of maintaining the fixed capital, which does not diminish the productive powers of labor, must increase the fund, which puts industry into motion, and consequently, the annual produce of the land and labor, the real revenue of every society. The substitution of paper in the room of gold and silver money replaces a very expensive instrument of commerce with one much less costly and sometimes equally convenient. Circulation comes to be carried on by a new wheel, which it costs less both to erect and maintain than the old one. But in what manner this operation is performed and in what manner it tends to increase either the gross or the neat revenue of the society is not altogether so obvious and may therefore require some further explanation. There are several different sorts of paper money, but the circulating notes of banks and bankers are the species which is best known and which seems best adapted for this purpose. When the people of any particular country have such confidence in the fortune, probity, and prudence of a particular banker as to believe that he is always ready to pay upon demand such of his promissory notes are, as are likely to be at any time presented to him, those notes come to have the same currency as gold and silver money from, their from the confidence that such money can at any time be had for them. A particular banker lends among his customers his own promissory notes to the extent, we shall suppose, of a hundred thousand pounds. As those notes serve all the purposes of money, his debtors pay him the same interest as if he had lent them so much money. This interest is the source of his gain. Well, it's not about the bankers, right? This is a private banking right here being explained, the Fed, right? This is the Fed right here. 1776 is talking about the Fed. This interest is the source of his gain. And this is the problem, what was really at the bottom of bricks and all of that stuff like that, because of private bankers, because of the U.S. dollar being issued by the Federal Reserve, which issues its money as debt in circulation. But continuing, the interest is the source of his gain. Though some of those notes 
are continually coming back upon him for payment, part of them continue to circulate for months and years together. Though he has generally in circulation, therefore, notes to the extent of a hundred thousand pounds, twenty thousand pounds in gold and silver may frequently be a sufficient provision for answering occasional demands. By this opera, and that there's fractional reserve right there. That's fractional reserve. Just explained. Though he has generally in circulation, therefore, notes to the extent of a hundred thousand pounds, twenty thousand pounds in gold and silver may frequently for a sufficient be a sufficient provision for answering occasional demands. Because there's a hundred thousand out there, but only twenty thousand worth of gold and silver. Or I would say better, you know, what well, how much value of in food and, and subsistence do you have really? to back all that because that's remember the produce of the land and the, the labor of mankind what does what value is that actually holding okay so by this operation therefore twenty thousand pounds in gold and silver perform all the functions which a hundred thousand could otherwise have performed that's the fractional reserve right there right because he only has in reserve uh twenty thousand right but it's serving the purpose of a hundred thousand right and so that's why if there was a run on the bank, as they say, it would break the bank. The banks would close down because they only have a portion of that. He, in this case, he only has one-fifth, 20% in the bank and not all of it. So, and, and this is the crazy thing, too, about the FDIC insurance, right? If you have a million dollars in the bank, but FDIC is only going to pay 100000 or 250000 you're losing a lot of money there. They, don't, they just don't, simply don't have it. So continuing, by this operation, therefore, 20,000 pounds in gold and silver perform all the functions which 100,000 could otherwise have performed. The same exchanges may be made. The same quantity of consumable goods may be circulated and distributed to their proper consumers. By means of his promissory notes to the value of 100,000 pounds, as by an equal value of gold and silver money, 80,000 pounds of gold and silver, therefore, can in this manner be spared from the circulation of the country. And if different operations of the same kind should at the same time be carried on by many different banks and bankers, the whole circulation may thus be conducted with a fifth part of only of the gold and silver, which would otherwise have been requisite. Yay, my math was right. Okay, so let us suppose, for example, that the whole circulating money of some particular country amounted at a particular time to one million sterling that sum being then sufficient for circulating the whole annual produce of their land and labor. Let us suppose, too, that sometime thereafter, different banks and bankers issued promissory notes payable to the bearer to the extent of one million, reserving in their different coffers 200,000 pounds for answering occasional demands. There would remain, therefore, in circulation 800,000 pounds in gold and silver and a million in banknotes or 1,800,000 pounds of paper and money together. But the annual produce of the land and labor of the country had before required only 1 million to circulate and distribute it to its proper consumers. And that annual produce cannot be immediately augmented by those operations of banking. 1 million, therefore, will be sufficient to circulate it after them. The goods to be bought and sold being precisely the same as before. The same quantity of money will be sufficient for buying and selling them. The channel of circulation, if I may be allowed such an expression, will remain precisely the same as before. One million we have supposed sufficient to fill that channel. Whatever, therefore, is poured into it beyond this sum cannot run in it. 
but must overflow. 1,800,000 pounds are poured into it. 800,000 pounds, therefore, must overflow, that sum being over and above what can be employed in the circulation of the country. But though this sum cannot be employed at home, it is too valuable to be allowed to lie idle. It will therefore be sent abroad in order to seek that profitable employment which it cannot find at home. But the paper cannot go abroad, because at a distance from the banks which issue it, and from the country in which payment of it can be exacted by law, it will not be received in common payments. Gold and silver, therefore, to the amount of 800,000 pounds will be sent abroad, and the channel of home circulation will remain filled with a million of paper, instead of the million of those metals which filled it before. Man, this is, this is at the heart of it right here. But though such a great quantity of gold and silver is thus sent abroad, we must not imagine that it is sent abroad for nothing, or that it is that its proprietors uh, make a present of it to foreign nations. They will exchange it for foreign goods of some kind or another in order to supply the consumption either of some other foreign country or of their own. If they employ it in purchasing goods in one foreign country in order to supply the consumption of another or in what is called the carrying trade, whatever profit they make will be an addition to the neat revenue of their own country. It is like a new fund created for carrying on a new trade. Domestic business being now transacted by paper and the gold and silver being converted into a fund for this new trade. If they employ it in purchasing foreign goods for home consumption, they may either first purchase such goods as are likely to be consumed by idle people who produce nothing, such as foreign wines, foreign silks, etc., or secondly, they may purchase an additional stock of materials, tools, and provisions in order to maintain and employ an additional number of industrious people who reproduce with a profit, the value of their annual consumption. So far as it is employed in the first way, it promotes prodigality, increases expense and consumption without increasing production or establishing any permanent fund for supporting the expense and is in every respect hurtful to the society. Yeah, fractional banking. So far as it is employed in the second way, it promotes industry, and though it increases the consumption of the society, it provides a permanent fund for supporting that consumption. The people who consume reproducing with a profit the whole value of their annual consumption. The gross revenue of the society, the annual produce of their land and labor, is increased by the whole value which the labor of those workmen adds to the materials upon which they are employed, and their neat revenue, right, their net revenue, by what remains of this value after deducting what is necessary for supporting the tools and instruments of their trade. That the greater part of gold and silver which, being forced abroad by those operations of banking, is employed in purchasing foreign goods for home consumption, is and must be employed in purchasing those of this second kind, seems not only probable but almost unavoidable. Considerably, considerably, uh, oh, <clears throat> though some part, well, it, starting again, the greater part of the gold and silver, which being forced abroad by those operations of banking is employed in purchasing foreign goods for home consumption is and must be employed in purchasing those of the second kind seems not only probable, but almost unavoidable. 
Though some particular men may sometimes increase their expense very considerably, though their revenue does not increase at all, we may be assured that no class or order of men ever does so, because though the principles of common prudence do not always govern the conduct of every individual, they always influence that of the majority of every class or order. But the revenue of idle people, considered as a class or order, cannot, in the smallest degree, be increased by those operations of banking. Their expense in general, therefore, cannot be much increased by them, though that of a few individuals among them may, and in reality sometimes is. The demand of idle people, therefore, for foreign goods being the same or very nearly the same as before, a very small part of the money, which being forced abroad by those operations of banking, is employed in purchasing foreign goods for whom consumption is likely to be employed in purchasing those for their use. The greater part of it will naturally be destined for the employment of industry and not for the maintenance of idleness. When we compute the quantity of industry which the circulating capital of any society can employ, we must always have regard to those parts of it only which consist in provisions, materials, and finished work, the other which consist in money, and which serves only to circulate those three must always be deducted. In order to put industry into motion, three things are requisite. Materials to work upon, tools to work with, and the wages or recompense for the sake of which the work is done. Money is neither a material to work upon nor a tool to work with. And though the wages of the workman are commonly paid to him in money, his real revenue, like that of all other, other men, consists not in the money, but in the money's worth, not in the metal pieces, but what, but in what can be got for them. God, over and over again, this point is made. That's the important point. That is the important point there. Hey, what's up, Danny? How you doing? The, hey, what's up? Hey, can you hear me? I can. Oh, cool. Uh, just listening. I just wanted to be like ready and willing to go at any whim. That's all. I'm just here, mm. parked. What you doing? Highlighting. I'm also reading too, but I'm, I need, I like, I like the, the sound in the background. Okay. It's so strange, if anything, but I'm also listening also. Okay. So. Happy to hear you. Ditto. Happy to hear you reading. Yes. What? It's just for a few more good. moments. Yeah. Go back to it. And then, uh, and then go on. Yeah. So I'm not going to go more than two hours. I already have an hour and 45 minutes here. But I'm gonna, I have to do a part two. And look, what is it? It's one o'clock in the morning. I'm going to start doing some other work. So, yeah. Oh, wow. It's nice uh, to like know somebody again on the East yeah, Coast. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Paper is substitute. Hey, what? That means we're about to learn something big here. Okay, so when paper is substituted in the room or gold in the room or gold and silver money, well, when paper is substituted in the room or gold and silver money, the quantity of the materials, tools, and maintenance which the whole circulating capital can supply may be increased 
by the whole value of gold and silver, which used to be employed in purchasing them. The whole value of the great wheel of circulation and distribution is added to the goods which are circulated and distributed by means of it. The operations, in some measure, resembles that of the undertaker of some great work who, in consequence of some improvement in mechanics, takes down his old machinery and adds the difference between its price and that of the new to his circulating capital, to the fund from which he furnishes materials and wages to his workmen. What is the proportion which the circulating money of any country bears to the value of the annual produce circulated by means of it is, perhaps, impossible to determine. It has been computed by different authors at a fifth, a tenth, at a twentieth, and at a thirtieth part of that value. But how small soever the proportion which the circulating money may bear to the whole value of the annual produce, as but a part, and frequently but a small part of that produce, is never is ever destined for the maintenance of industry. It must always bear a very considerable proportion to that part. When, therefore, by the substitution of paper, the gold and silver necessary for circulation is reduced to perhaps a fifth part of that former quantity, if the value of only the greater part of the other four-fifths be added to the funds which are destined for the maintenance of industry, it must make a very considerable addition to the quantity of that industry and, consequently, to the value of the annual produce of land and labor. An operation of this kind has, within these five and twenty or thirty years, been performed in Scotland by the erection of new banking companies in almost every considerable town and even in some country villages. Oh boy, um, the effects of it have been precisely those above described. Hmm. The businesses or the business of the country is almost entirely carried on by means of the paper of those different banking companies with which purchases and payments of all kinds are commonly made. Silver very seldom appears except in the exchange of a 20 shilling banknote. Ooh, so silver at the time was 20 shillings. All right. Silver very seldom appears except in the exchange of a 20 shilling banknote and gold still seldomer. But though the conduct of all those different companies has not been unexceptionable and has accordingly required an act of parliament to regulate it, the country, notwithstanding, has evidently derived a great benefit from their trade. I have heard it asserted that the trade of the city of Glasgow doubled in about 15 years after the first erection of the banks there and that the trade of Scotland has more than quadrupled since the first erection of the two public banks at Edinburgh, of which the one, called the Bank of Scotland, was established by Act of Parliament in 1695, the other, called the Royal Bank, by Royal Charter in 1727. Whether the trade, either of Scotland in general or of the city of Glasgow in particular, has really increased in so great a proportion during so short a period, I do not pretend to know. If either of them has increased in this proportion, it seems to be an effect too great to be accounted for by the sole operation of this cause. That the trade and industry of Scotland, however, have increased very considerably during this period, and that the banks have contributed a good deal to this increase cannot be doubted. Hmm. Let me see how much more of this I have to go. I need to take a break. Yeah, there's a lot. 
There's so much in this book. And I was gleefully interrupted by uh, Jenny and in, in, uh, Colin and by Guru Warrior um, on Wisdom and Danny here. So I do not mind at all. But, but soon I will have to take a, a break from this because this is a long-ass chapter. Let's see. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm going to continue with this afterwards um, in a little while. Or I might get to work on something else and come back much later, like in the morning sometime, because this is a lot. Right. Let's see. Well, you know, yeah, that'll be it for now. I'm going to have to cut it because uh, this is, um, it's been a lot. A lot. So, hello, uh, Sienna Mojo, Colby, um, Will Morales, Lee News Durand F. Davis Jr., Cass, Christopher Birkenbaum, what's up? Levi, Sebastian, Gene, Undefined, Dope Female Trainer, Guru Warrior, thanks for coming up, Daily Shift, Midnight Rain, Julie Stacy, Darlene Anderson, Chocolate Yoda, Dow Dashes, Joshua Blattman, Cecilia Grace, kudos. Uh, Jerome Bradley, Untethered Minds Podcast, B-Channel, Emmett Glassbrenner, Anthony Thomas, Tony, what's up, Therapy Health, and Ronald Bailey, thanks for uh, passing through or sitting a spell to hang out while I do my reading of Wealth of Nations, Adam Smith, 1776, book two, uh, chapter two, chapter two of book two, but I got to go, I got to circulate my mind around other stuff, and I got to give some attention to somebody. Yeah, I'm talking about you. What? <laughs> what happened? I, I started making myself emotional. <laughs> For what? Listening to this, like, it's not a beautiful dream. It starts with snowfall. Mm. And it just, like, reminded me of home running through the streets. And then, like, every memory from then. Mm. Well, let's talk about that in a minute. All right, y'all have been listening to Wealth Attraction Research, WAR, WAR. Capital Money, presented by Hakeem Alipokas Alexander on Spreaker Social Podcasting, Wisdom Social Audio Inc., and Colin Social Podcasting, presented for World Reading Club in association with ExercisingYourMind.com and Uniquilibrium. All right, until next time, stay well. Later, Danny. Mm-hmm.